Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. Welcome to We Go There. We are here with an amazing guest expert, but we also have another special guest with us. Nikki, can you please that share would- who your special <laughs> guest is? My special guest is 20-month-old Hendrick. Basically, we got COVID in our house three days ago, and uh, my husband is upstairs like struggling at the moment with my three-year-old. Hendrick and I are asymptomatic. We're doing great, but you know, no child care. So we're going to do our best to make this happen. I'm going to hop in and out. (laughs) And on that, I'm going to mute myself. Go for it, ladies. Amazing. So it's real here and uh, we're going to have fun with it. But for for real, we actually do have an incredible episode for you today. Um, We're chatting with registered dietitian and twin mama, parent mealtime coach, Ahuva. Um, And we're going to be talking all about mealtime stress. Um, If you grew up hearing the phrase, clean your plate, or you felt helpless as a parent at dinner table, this episode's definitely for you. I know we're going to have so many, I am going to have so many aha moments because um, I just said to Ahuva, I feel like I'm just based off her Instagram alone, which is amazing. Um, I'm doing it all wrong. So we just need to get right into this and um, talk about, I guess, where we could start. Hi, Ahuva. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to We Go There. And let's talk first about phrases. So you talk a lot about like phrases that can be passed down from generations um, and how those impact your children. So for example, clean your plate. And I know mm-hmm. when Nikki's able to come on, she's got a great little reference to this um, point from her history. But how can those impact your children and um, and how are those passed down from generations? Well, I think that so much of, of feeding is generational, right? Like if, even if we think about the foods that we eat, right? Foods that you eat in your home are probably different than the ones that I maybe eat in my home or might feed my kids just even based on our history. Um, but I really think that so much of, you know, what we say and what we, we are, really animals, right? Humans are animals, we're mammals to begin with. And, um, you know, mammals learn through imitation, mm-hmm. right? So, so much of what we end up saying to our kids, clean your plate, you know, like starving children in Africa, all those kind of like things that we, you know, talk about at the mealtime are so strongly tied to the things that, um, you know, we heard from our parents, even if they're things that we don't necessarily want to be saying, <laughs> Right. So sometimes I talk to parents and they're like, I don't want to recreate what I had at, you know, at my meals when I was growing up. Um, But then we end up sort of saying the same thing. Um, And a big part of that, I really, you know, I talk about the focus of my practice really and the way that I work with parents. Uh, My biggest philosophy is that you can teach your kids anything that you need to. Every lesson that we want to teach our kids, um, you know, about life really can be taught at the dinner table, but the dinner table is actually one place where we as women, uh, you know, first had our power taken from us 
And so it's a place where I really work with moms in particular to reclaim their power as women and raise empowered children. Um, And the phrase clean your plate, or you have to clean your plate, or do you want to be in the clean plate club or all of those kind of things is actually one of the ways that we probably as children heard, you know, that that took away some of our power and some of the ways that we can actually disempower our children, right? Because when we're, you know, when our children might be saying to, to us, you know, mommy, I'm done, or my tummy is, you know, all done, or my body is telling me something, what we're really saying when we say, well, you haven't cleaned your plate or you have to eat some more or three more bites or all of these kind of phrases is actually your body's wrong or you're wrong about what your body is telling you. Right. Right. And I think when we say it in that way, and I don't, I don't think so. I think that it's important, even, you know, when you say like you've seen through my Instagram, even doing it wrong, right? Like there is no wrong when it comes to feeding your kids because they don't come with a manual, unfortunately. Um, and we have to make one. But, but, you know, all of these kind of phrases, we don't mean to mean them in a disempowering way, right? We don't mean for that to be what it is. But I think we really have to break down what we're saying to our kids. And ultimately, you're saying, I know you think you know what your body is telling you, but you don't. Mm. Right. That's really powerful, for sure, when you put it, when you put it that way. Yeah, Nikki. I'm going to hop on here because I have a moment when I can actually talk. (laughs) Um, So I I don't know how long this will be, but I wanted to share a story because I would love your thoughts on it. And it's interesting. This actually only happened last week. So my mom was over here and we were having a dinner and my three and a half year old was, you know, full of beans and running around and not sitting at the table and eating. And we'd made this nice meal. And it's obviously a frustrating scenario that I'm sure mm-hmm. many, many parents can resonate with. And my husband was getting frustrated and he said, nope, I need you to sit down, sit down, clean your plate. Like kind of like in, in a moment of frustration. And um, my mom looked over at her and she had like tears in her eyes and and she like stood up and walked away from the table. And like, I was like, what is going on? Like what is happening? Like, and, and I I asked her about it in the kitchen away from the table. And she's like, that was just really triggering for me. That's something that I grew up hearing and it brings back a lot of bad memories. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting because I never grew up hearing clean your plate, probably because my mom had such a negative memory of that. And, and so it must have been just my husband grew up probably hearing that. Now he's passing it to our kids. And, you know, she grew up in post-war Germany and, you know, food was scarce. And it was this whole, like, we, we can't waste. And it was just, yeah. Anyways, I'd love your thoughts on that because clearly, and then I thought, oh, my God, I'm having this interview with the Whova. Like, I need to ask for this question. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, the, the reality is, I mean, I'm like, I'm the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors right? Who had a very strong experience of food being withheld from them, obviously, right? So yes, there is a generational aspect to the idea of, you know, they're like, and people will tell stories all the time of Holocaust survivors who, you know, have to keep 10 times as much food in the fridge that they ever would need, or that idea of like, we don't waste food and all of those kind of things. So for sure, there is an impact of the history and that relationship with food. And that's it's actually a, a really important point because we see that, you know, I don't know how old your mom is now, but decades later, how strongly those things, uh, you know, really impact um, impact us and, and stick with us for the rest of our lives in that, you know, we have to clean our plate um, or the ways that we really interact with food or we come to family meals or we sort of see that experience, 
right? And I know, you know, lots of women in particular, because again, in the, even in the 21st century, it's not so, you know, PC to say, but still women and, and mothers bear the brunt of the, um, you know, meal prep and also feeding uh, responsibilities for the most part um, in, you know, in a lot of the families that I'm still working with. Um, and so in how they've sort of interacted with food, right. Or had that, uh, you know, experience as children or in how they're, they were sort of interacting with food when they were in, in their own homes and hearing those things of you have to clean your plate, you're, you're sort of wrong. If you think that, you know, your body needs, it can be really triggering for them, even as parents who are trying to feed, right. Because it's sort of the, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, right. If I don't even know about my own body, how can I help these kids, right? How can I feed kids well? And typically what we then see very often is, you know, when we're feeling insecure about it, and I say we, because there's, I don't do everything perfectly. I don't think there is a perfect way to feed, right? So I'm, I do, you know, I, I rupture and repair that relationship with my kids all the time, uh, you know, also. And when we are then, you know, showing up to the table in that way, we tend to micromanage, right? Because if, I don't know about my body. How the heck can this four-year-old know about their body? And so I'm going to say three more bites, or I'm going to say, you know, all of these kind of things and clean your plate and all those kind of things, just to get sort of some semblance of control in that aspect or in that, you know, meal time. And so that's sort of how we tend to see, you know, it keep on continuing with family after family. Um, but I do think it's really actually very powerful that your mom was even able to identify that that was so triggering for her, right? And how that made her feel. Yeah. I mean, it, it really just illustrates the point. I mean, she's in her seventies. She was born in 1948. I mean, you know, she, she definitely, there's definitely some generational stuff that she, I think did a good job. (laughs) She did a good job, like not passing down, I think, Mm -hmm. but now it's sort of, you know, I guess my neck begs the next question, you know, I'm sure there's people listening um, where it's like, okay, well, you've got your kid who's like, classic this is my scenario at least she's like running around you know not wanting to eat and then you know doesn't if we say don't clean her plate she doesn't eat and then like two hours later she's like I want snacks you know what I mean like what do you do yeah so I mean there's an idea that we talk about in the fields of nutrition called the division of responsibility right and so what that really illustrates is what our jobs are as parents and what our children's jobs are as, uh, you know, as children, right? And so when we are showing up to the table, our responsibility is to decide when meals are happening, right? In your house, it might be 5 p.m. In my house, you know, dinner might be 6 p.m. There's no right or wrong. It's what works. What's going to be for the meal? And then how we're going to serve that meal. So does everyone get their own plate? Does everyone, you know, eat family style? What does that sort of look like? And so then our children's job is to show up to that meal and decide if they want to eat and if they want to eat how much they want to eat, right? Our job is essentially everything up to the food hitting the plate. And their job is everything that comes off of the plate or doesn't if they decide that. And so what I always say to parents is when that's happening, right? When like kids are running around and, you know, their bums aren't staying on the chair for more than 10 seconds and all the things, I want you to get curious not reactive. Right. So looking back and it takes a lot of practice because sometimes you're like, for the love of God, just sit down. (laughs) And I, I have those with my kids in general. They like are bouncing off the walls all the time, but 
And, you know, when we are looking at why are their bums not in the chairs, right? What's stopping them? And so really, I, you know, I work with, with parents to do sort of a big environmental scan, right? And sometimes it is things even like, you know what, someone else is watching TV in the other room and they can hear it, or they can literally see a toy that they want to play with, you know, in their periphery as they're trying to sit there, or maybe they had a snack too close to dinner time, or, you know, there's, we have a family pizza party one night a week uh, with 14 grandkids who are all running around. It's probably not going to be the time where my kids are going to be the most focused in their chairs, right? So getting curious about what the factors are, not reactive to the situation, meaning we don't have to troubleshoot in that moment. We don't have to, you know, try and fix the situation in that moment, but we do need to think about, okay, what probably led up, led up to this and how can we sort of do it differently next time? Um, because, you know, my philosophy is you can either change the environment or you can change your expectations around it, right? And so the family pizza party is a perfect example. Either I can say we're not going to go to that pizza party because I want my kids to, you know, eat focused tonight. Or I can say my expectation is they're probably not going to do that, but we can't do both, Right. Um, and then there becomes the, you know, two hours later, totally reasonable time to have a snack and you can decide what that's going to look like. Right. It's, yeah, it's such a, I mean, the amount you have to hold back in those situations because it, it often, it comes from a place of pure love. Like we just want them to eat good food that's nutritious. And like Nikki said, a lot of times it's like, okay. And then they don't eat and then they just want a snack and the snacks are all just, you know, not nutritious. heavy. you know, there's not a lot of nutrition in them. And so just controlling yourself and those, um, you know, innate feelings that you just want them to have a little broccoli and Mm -hmm. be able to, you know, enjoy a meal together as a family and those types of things. So what are the are there specific specific phrases? And I know avoid's not the right word because again, like you said, it's, you know, we can't be so hard on ourselves and we need to just work through it, but are there certain things that we definitely should try and avoid saying? And then what are the kind of repercussions of those phrases that probably we've experienced in our upbringing that, you know, through generations have caused our own potential issues in the future. So what are some of those phrases that we should be like clean your place, mm. one of them, but what are, is yeah. it, you know, like eat your vegetables? Like, I don't know. So I think that it's really, you know, what I really work again, you know, with families now is to understand the idea that, that at the table, we have to reflect the values that we actually hold as a family. Okay. And sometimes what we don't realize is that some of the things that we're doing at the table, right. And again, you know, we're animals, we're mammals, we learn through imitation. So eventually, right. When, when our, my kids are older, we're going to have, you know, the talk, right. Uh, it's something that we all have to have. We're going to discuss things like consent. We're going to discuss things like, Hey, if you go to a party and there's alcohol, right. All of those kind of things. Um, and sometimes we don't really think about the fact that the ideas that we want our kids, the empowerment that we want them to be able to have, right? Eventually, when my kid is in high school, and again, they're five now, if there is a party with alcohol, I don't want them to be pressured to do those things, right? I don't want pressure to be, oh, well, someone's telling me, so, you know, I should do, I should do something that might, that I don't think is right or anything like that. And we don't always think about how the phrases that we're using or how the way that we present things at the table can actually 
either reflect the values you want them having or, you know, sort of disempower them or be in opposition to the values that we want them having. And so there are a lot of phrases, I think, that we don't really, you know, recognize in that way. And so what I always want parents to do is just take a moment and remember, you know, sort of as if you're listening to this episode and you're hearing some of the things that you say at the table, remember that learning and changing and, you know, improving the situation typically happens in retrospect, right? So you say something and you're like, "Mm, that, that didn't feel good. I don't think that hit right. Right. And then we can repair that, right? We can fix it. It's not always catching yourself when you're going to make the, you know, quote unquote mistake or, you know, when you're going to say something that you don't align with. And so remembering, you know, and sort of just thinking about why am I saying these things, right? What's my motivation here? Number one, is it my job to do, right? So the cleaning your plate, take three more bites, um, you know, anything that is rewarding or punishing our kids for eating or not eating, right? So you can have dessert if you do this, take three mm-hmm. more bites, and then, and then you can watch TV, right? So anything that's rewarding um, or, uh, you know, or punishing kids for eating. Another really powerful one is, you, and this is something that we don't really think about is, but mommy made it special for you. Mm, right. But I did it for you because again, you know, I don't want my kids to ever think that just because someone bought them something or just because someone took them out for dinner or just because someone, you know, did something nice for them, that there's an expectation that they need to reciprocate something they don't feel comfortable with. Right. And this is where I want parents and, you know, inside, inside my group coaching and and all of that stuff that we really work to unpack how some of these things do actually send messages that we don't want to be sending. Right. And so, you know, our kids don't owe us anything, even if we've made them their favorite thing. Right. The fact that you worked hard while they should appreciate that there's someone who cares enough about them to, make them their favorite meal or spend four hours doing or go to the store special to buy them whatever it is, they don't have to then reciprocate in some way. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's, it really is like empowered eating, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also, you know, the idea that, and this sort of goes from both ends is that sometimes our kids, especially if they're, you know, quote unquote picky eaters, right when they're like, I don't like this, or I don't, you know, I've already made my decision once and I'm going to hold it forever. Right. Um, there's also, we tend to say to our kids, but you ate it yesterday. Right. And again, when we're thinking about ideas that we want to be introducing, like when it comes to things like consent, right. You can say yes one day and you can say no another day. And that is perfectly fine because you're a human being who is allowed to evolve your decision-making and is allowed to feel comfortable one time and not another time, right? For no, With no explanation to the other person or no explanation to why that is. And so some of these ideas of, you know, but you ate it yesterday, um, so why aren't you eating it today, right? Sort of acts in, again, in opposition to the idea that we're allowed to continuously evolve our comfort level and our decision-making. Um, And so really, you know, again, thinking about what's our motivation for saying these things. And very often the answer is, well, I want my kids to eat more. Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to, well, in the division of responsibility, that's not really your job. 
Um, and then, you know, what am I really reflecting when I'm saying some of these phrases? Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question? Would you ever withhold dessert if they don't finish their main course? So I would not generally because I know my mom actually loves this. She's like, as, as a grandmother, she's like, it's fine. They can have dessert anyway. They didn't even eat anything, but it's fine. Um, so grandmothers everywhere can, can celebrate. But the idea is that we never want to create a hierarchy of food, right? We never want to create the idea that, uh, number one, dessert is something you have to earn, right? And I know that like, you know, Nikki, you focus on joyful movement, right? On just movement that feels good. We never want adults to feel like I need to earn through movement, my dessert or my calories or anything like that. Right. And we don't sort of want to put those foods, uh, uh, you know, in a hierarchy. We don't want to create a scarcity mindset with our kids because that's typically when we see kids who are like, I'm, you know, parents will say, I'm, my kid is obsessed with sugar. And very often it's because they sort of have to negotiate and earn and, you know, well, if I take three more bites, can I have this? And, you know, that cupcake is everything to them. And then they act like it's the last supper every time that they, you know, have uh, that sugar. And then, yeah, they'll clean your entire cupboard out if you let them, right? In which case, you know, I see a lot of parents who are like, I think my child is a sugar addict. They really might just have that scarcity mentality when it comes to, uh, when it comes to eating things like sugar. Um, And we don't want to, you know, sort of create the idea that other food is not, you know, it's either good or it's bad, right? So it's either this sugar, this cupcake is amazing. This broccoli sucks, but I guess I have to eat it. Or I'm so good for eating my broccoli and you know, the, the dessert is not so great. Yeah. That's so it. I mean, I grew up in a house. I was the house that everyone wanted to come to because. Did you have the junk cupboard? Oh, like (laughs) on the counter, like candy bowls on the counter. We had junk cupboards, like anyone would want to trade lunch, lunch snacks with me, like all of the things. So delicious gushers, like, and you name it, I had it. But like you said, actually, as I think about it, I never overindulged in any of that. I always had it. So it was like, oh yeah, like I'm going to grab a snack here. But I often came home from school and had like, you know, the salads in a bag because yeah, I had the other always there. Salads in a bag. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) With French dressing, you. real healthy. Oh my gosh, French dressing. I haven't seen that in years, but it, we used to always have that at home. Go to, that was a go to. Thousand like, Island. Lettuce it's and like mayonnaise. So healthy. <laughs> okay, so how do you, okay, for anyone listening here, and I'm, I'm noticing some of my own issues. I think a lot of people will when listening to this. Um, like we often are like, oh, well, you know, we're going to go get a Timbit if you hurry up and get your snowsuit on like one yeah. of those, you know, like in the drive-thru because we all and just a lollipop if you get your snowsuit on, like all of yeah. those things. All yep. that. So-, so first of all, even if you can't catch yourself in that moment, even if you're still saying the, you know, uh, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, a couple of things I would think about is Number one, making a list, and this isn't as easy as it sounds because, you know, our kids are little. And so it's not as, as easy um, sometimes to, to think about these things, but making a list of four or five things that your kids actually enjoy, right? So I know my kids would love extra cuddle time. They would like even just a one-on-one drive with me, right? They would like, and I can list off five or six things that they would actually like to do that they enjoy that can, can give them that sort of, you know, sense of empowerment and sense of satisfaction that aren't food related, 
And so I want parents to know it's okay if sometimes even, you know, in the world of COVID, hey, we're going to go get a COVID test and then we're going to go get some Timbits. Like sometimes that's going to happen. It's just recognizing that food can't be the only one, right? For me, I know as a person, right? Sometimes I want to take a bath by myself. Sometimes, yeah, I want to eat something delicious if I'm having a hard day or whatever. Sometimes I want to go for a run, right? I can't go for a run at three in the morning. It's not available to me. So what's my next alternative, right? And so it's just building that in our kids as well, that sometimes there's, you know, you want to eat a Timbit because it's just, you want some, you know, quick pleasure in your day because it's a hard day. That's legitimate. That's totally fine. It's just being conscious then of what else can we empower them to choose, right? How else can we continue to support that as they grow up and as they become, you know, the adults that we want them to become with having those skills as well. And then even something as simple as changing your wording when you're saying that. Okay. Okay. So it's not, if you do this, I will reward you with a Timbit, right? It's, hey, when you're finished putting on your jacket, we have some Timbits, right? Right. It's just a when, it's a natural next thing. So it's not in, if you do, then you get, if you don't, then you don't get. It's just when X happens, Y is going to happen. Right. Like when that happens, this is going to totally, that's just our next activity. It's the same thing as saying, when you're done brushing your teeth, we're going to go to bed, right? We're not rewarding them for brushing their teeth with going to bed. It's just the next logical activity. And so it might still motivate them the same because they might do it quicker because they want that food. But even as you're just getting comfortable in changing some of that language and changing some of that um, you know, idea behind it. It's just making that word switch can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is also just remembering as parents that very often, you know, as moms, we sort of judge ourselves based on how well our kids ate. So it is really difficult to start changing. Right. And we get a lot of feedback from this in terms of sort of, you know, being a quote unquote good mother, right. What's a good mother. It's a person who like nourishes and barters themselves and, you know, never sits down at dinner time because she's busy making sure that everybody's cups are refilled and everybody has the meal that they want, even if it's food that she, like, she hates, right? All of those kind of things. And as difficult as it is for us to start changing that, though we have to, because that's not really what a, a good mother is, not someone who like runs themselves ragged to just, you know, give everything to their, to their kids, we still get some sort of like feedback from that, right? You see that your kid ate a lot at dinner time, and you're like, gold star for me. Check mark, right? Good mom. I did it today. And it might not be the, you know, the thing that we really want to be doing, but still there's some sort of, you know, subconscious thing that we feel a sense of reward for that. And so it's really, I just want to, you know, sort of validate the fact that it's really difficult to start making these changes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, Hendrick right now. <laughs> He's holding the mic and and Nikki was not standing exactly there. So it literally looked like it's a show with Hendrick and I on We Go There. <laughs> <laughs> so I love these word change and phrases because the when is like, I can do that. I, I can totally yeah. replace that. And I do like the lollipop type thing too often, I have to say, because you get to that breaking point of like, What can I possibly do to just get you ready for school? Like we got to get to school kind of thing. So what are some of the other phrases? So we talked about the things like to try and avoid saying, so what do you, 
replace that to like with as almost a motivator. So when your kids are running around and you want them to sit down and enjoy dinner, um, or they're, you know, sitting, having dinner and what are some of the more empowering ways that you can kind of change those phrases to empower your kids versus, um, you know, tell them to clean their plate. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, so empower them to do what? Well, now I'm going to say like eat their meal, but I think right. you're probably going to yeah. say that I should. Exactly. Not- <laughs> <laughs> you got there. Yes. So really it is. It's sort of thinking about what is my motivation? What am I trying to do? Right. So we're not trying to empower them to, to eat anything. We're trying to empower them really. And so this is a lot of where the self-talk comes in is how am I reframing what it means to raise empowered children at the table? Right. And I often have, again, like inside, you know, inside my coaching program, like we have sheets where it's like sometimes filling out the form before a meal, because sometimes we really need to be like, okay, what is my job right now? Right. Right. And the example that I always give is, and this is, this is that, you know, I'm, I'm a feeding coach. I'm a dietitian, right? My husband is a medical malpractice lawyer. If every single day I ended the day and I was like, how well did I perform in the courtroom today? Well, not very well. Okay. Well, I guess I'm not a good dietitian. Does that make any sense? Like, no, I'm judging myself based on a, on a job that isn't mine. I don't know. I didn't know nothing about the, like I got a jury duty submissions and I was like, oh my God, I'm being sued. Like I have I have no, I don't know court from, from anything, but really, you know, that's what we end up doing at the table so often, right? right? We try and control jobs that aren't ours. And then we judge ourselves afterwards Mm -hmm. for how well we did them, right? Mm -hmm. So anything that we're trying to to do to control how much our kids eat or what our kids eat is going to end up backfiring on us. It's really the question is, how can I set up the opportunity as best I can for my kids to eat? I like that. So it's how can I... Obstacles, removing distractions, things like that. Exactly. Removing distractions, having family meals, even, I mean, there's, there's so much research, even that just the idea of having a family meal, irrelevant of what you're eating, right? So just having that time can reduce our risk of eating disorders, can reduce the risk of substance abuse disorders in kids, can reduce the risk of depression in kids so much. And that's irrelevant of what you're actually putting on the table. So I don't care if it's, you put a box of Haagen-Dazs bars on the table. I mean, that actually sounds amazing, but you know, if you're eating that, yeah, I'd I'd show up for that dinner. But if that's what you're putting on the table, I think that first of all, we need to, we need to say, you know, what is, what is my goal with this time? Right. And it's to reflect our family's values. It's to model that for our kids day in and day out. It's also to show up as how can I embody what an empowered woman is and what an empowered adult is, right? How can I show up as that? And an empowered adult is not sitting and micromanaging everybody else's plates and even really looking at them, right? And so then it's sort of, you know, how can I make this opportunity as best we can to to have my kids exploring different foods? And sometimes the best exploration isn't going to lead to them eating them, right? Right. So can they toss the salad? Right. Like it sounds like when you were going home as, as a kid, I know that you put the, the salad in a bag, but really like, so you were, you were making yourself salad. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter what the salad was because maybe now in your, you know, like in your adult life, 
your salads probably look really different. Right. But the idea is that you're a person who can prepare your own salad and so will. Right. Right. We made butter this week at home, which sounds really fancy and it's really easy. But, you know, because my daughter loves butter, we did that in our kitchen. It doesn't matter what my kids are making in the kitchen. It matters that at five years old, they're like, oh, the kitchen is for me. I can do that. I can get in there. I can make something for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so building those skills and building those associations and even building your kids looking at the table and seeing, okay, maybe there's, you know, some chicken and some rice and some vegetables. I guess that's how you build a balanced meal Mm -hmm. is more important than them, you know, taking the balanced meal on their plate every time. Right. Right. They may just take the rice, but they're seeing every time that you incorporate a vegetable and, you know, a chicken or whatever, and then that builds healthy eating for them in the future. Yeah. So with the parents and given that a lot of what we're um, passing on has come from our own personal issues, probably with food that have been passed down to us, like how do we, um, what are some tips for parents to heal from their own food issues? Totally. So, I mean, that's a lot of work and I really commend every parent who puts in that effort because, you know, it's, it's not easy. Um, and there is a lot of, I mean, growing up in the eighties and nineties, there were some horrible, you know, diet messaging that all of us were exposed to and whether or not even parents feel like they were impacted by it. We all were right. Because it's, it's the, the water with which we grew up. Right. So really just, you know, I'm being mindful of the fact that it's work to change that number one. And feeding is a relationship. So really just recognizing that you're not going to do it perfectly every time, right? You're not going to hold back every time and you're not going to do all the right things every single time. And nor do we need to. I think that very often, whether it's now in recognizing, oh my goodness, I think there's some things that we need to undo or we need to discuss differently. We sometimes feel like every meal is do or die, right? Parents feel this often also, like if my child doesn't eat broccoli today, like they're going to get scurvy, right? Meals aren't always do or die. It's a relationship that evolves, right? And so even just being mindful of some of the ways that we are showing up in that way and we're trying to, or, you know, some of the messaging is coming through us is even asking in retrospect, right? Some of the conversations or some of the questions that I encourage parents to ask themselves is, okay, when I said that thing, what was my motivation, right? Sort of the conversation that we just had, right? Okay, it was actually to get my kids to eat more. And then just being mindful of, hey, was that my job? Should I have done that? Was that appropriate for me to, you know, do that? And if the answer is, it was solely just to get my kids to uh, to eat more. Okay, well, you know, in the future, just being mindful of that, right? That's not my job. And really being able to ask the question, what is my job here? And then also just asking the question in your head. And I I sort of just give all these like little keywords that you can think about it really quickly is, and I just posted this on Instagram as well, is right now, am I protecting or am I projecting? Hmm. I love that phrase. Oh my goodness. Say that one more time. Am I protecting or am I projecting? Right. And so if your child, let's say had a food allergy, and you see something with the allergen in it, yeah, like damn right, pull your kid away, right? Make them aware of it, pull back. If there's if there's something that really 
you know, we are protecting our kids from not eating or protecting them from something that's important for us to step in. But sometimes we're just projecting our own crap onto our kids when it comes to food, right? And so saying to your kid, hey, you shouldn't eat that second piece of cake because you're going to get a tummy ache, right? Number one, maybe you would, but maybe they won't, right? I've seen my kids eat a lot more sugar than I ever thought a body could handle and they seem fine. So, you know, maybe I would feel sick if I did that, but my body is not their body. And so I can't tell them how they're going to feel number one. And also number two, maybe it makes you uncomfortable. Maybe you're like squirming in your chair a little bit when you go to a birthday party and you see your kid eating, you know, like candy from the cat, like all these things, but that's also not theirs to own. That's you. And you need to address that. And that's fine. And, you know, there's work to be done around that, but you can't project that onto them. And so just starting to be aware of some of the places that comes out. That is really, really powerful. I really like that. That's so simple too, to remember, right? In the moment when next time Lexi's giving a lollipop or I'm like bribing my child with the Timbit. Yeah. <laughs> I totally. love that. Uh, okay. I, I don't know if you've already talked, cause I've been in and out with the gong show running around here this morning. <laughs> um, so <laughs> if you've already addressed this, just cut me off. But what would you say to someone whose kid seems to be a quote unquote, absolute sugar freak? Like the parents who were like, I like the ones who, if you let them to their own devices, they would just gorge themselves in the entire candy drawer. Like how do you begin to get them less obsessed with sugar? Serve sugar more often. What? Sorry, what? <laughs> you like make it like make it like you're you're gonna have free access to this at all times. So, so it's not necessarily like free that. access. So remembering that you know again, we as parents decide when things are coming, what that looks like, right? What's gonna be? So it could be even like we're having candy bars right now, but we're not having ice cream because we don't have that in the house right now, or we're deciding. But I think what's really important that parents sometimes don't um, don't really appreciate, and believe me, with times where things have been off, you know, a little bit off the rails. Again, I'm, I'm Orthodox Jewish. We have a month of high holidays, right. At some point. And there's been, there have been times where let's say my kids had to wait time and time and time and time again for dessert. And it was sort of like that question of when's dessert coming? What's dessert coming? What's, is it time? Is it time? And so after that month, yeah, we had to do a little bit of, you know, deconditioning around that um, and moving back to, you know, just like all food is food. But very often when, when people and when parents see their kids as, you know, my kid is addicted to sugar or they're just like sugar fiends or all of these things, what I always encourage them to think about is what's the environment in which we're serving it. Okay. And sometimes this is not a scientific term, it's just something that I, that I talk about with parents is experiences of scarcity in an environment of plenty. Right. And so sometimes it is parents are like, well, my kid has had 10 Timbits at a chocolate bar and, you know, a Slurpee at like, and these 15,000 things in the day, how could they possibly feel deprived? And sometimes it is thinking about that experience that our kids are having it, those foods in, right. And the experience of, of sort of that thing. And the, the analogy that I would sort of give is, you know, I don't know if, um, if you have this experience, but sometimes like I have to, you know, Hey, hun, can you take the garbage out? right? Can you take the garbage out? Can you take the garbage out? Can you take... And after 45 times, my husband will like walk in and be like, yeah, I took the garbage out. <laughs> You're going to say thank you. And I'm like, 
No, because I'm pissed off because it has to ask 45 times, right? The experience of getting something after you asked for it that many times is not the same as when you just get it freely, right? When it's just given out of love, when it's just something that was, you know, sort of, and we can even think about this probably even times where I've wanted to buy something and I'm like, oh, should I buy it? Should I not buy it? And there's this like inner, mm, is it worth it? Should I, should I make a spreadsheet about it? And then you do it, that purchase doesn't feel as just sort of luxurious and pleasurable and all of those things as if you just get the thing, mm-hmm. right? And so it's really thinking about that in the way that we're serving those kind of foods also, right? If every single time it's a negotiation and you have to eat three more bites and you have to this, and if you don't do this, you're not going to get your cupcake. And okay, fine, you got your cupcake. I don't really want to give you the cupcake, but I guess I promised it. And that whole talk around it that experience for our kids is not the same as when just sort of, you know, there's a cupcake put down on the table and it just is what it is. You can eat it. You cannot do your thing and you know, all done. Mm -hmm. Right. And so really we sometimes create an environment of scarcity and that experience, even when we're still giving things to them 15 times a day. Right. That is so so powerful. I'm like having so many like aha moments right now as you're talking. Cause I'm like, oh my God, it's so true. Like, don't make a spreadsheet. Don't make a sticker chart about cupcakes. Like that's just annoying. (laughs) Yeah. But so we've all sort of had that. My husband's like, what do you mean? I don't, you don't ask me 45 times to take out the garbage. Um, But, but, you know, so really thinking about more what they're responding in some way, right. Seeing all of these all of these behaviors with our kids as a response to the environment in which they're in and okay, what do I need to shift in the environment? Right. And that's really where the curiosity comes, right? We don't need to respond right away. We don't need to troubleshoot that situation right away. Um, But how do we start to, you know, sort of navigate that and even offer those foods freely sometimes and let them experiment with, okay, well, I had six pieces of cake and now my tummy doesn't feel good. Right. Because that's a learning opportunity for them. That's how we learn our bodies. Um, And so not doing that protecting, right. Sometimes we don't need to protect them from their, you know, sort of quote unquote mistakes or learning opportunities. Um, And then just really thinking about, you know, how do we impact that environment? How can we set that up for them better so that next time they can, you know, do a bit better for their bodies? So one of the things that parents ask me about very often is that they're, you know, nervous about childhood obesity or, uh, you know, adults, their their children growing into adults who are living in larger bodies And actually, we see that one of the greatest predictors for obesity or larger bodies in adults is actually diet behaviors in children or parents, you know, trying to control portions or types of food in uh, in the pediatric population and in their children. Um, And so, you know, while often we're, we're really motivated to try and encourage our kids to eat the vegetables and the fruit and the things that we think are going to protect them from that, we may actually be doing the opposite. That's wild. And so the the best thing you could do is be more, just allow them to kind of eat what they wish, what their bodies feel. The best thing that we can do really is focus more on the relationships that we're building with food as opposed to the micronutrients or the actual, you know, things. If we want to be able to have kids know or grow into adults who know that food is something to be enjoyed, right? It is something that 
provides us with nourishment. So yes, we do eventually have to eat a vegetable, right? Or our bodies would probably not be very happy, but recognizing that, you know, we also want kids to be able to have those skills to, um, to eat when they're hungry, to stop when they're full, to know that food is for more than just, you know, the exact micronutrients that are in it. And part of that actually comes from kids sort of, you know, making mistakes around that, right? Sometimes not eating enough. And so being hungry later, sometimes eating more than their bodies needed. And so being uncomfortable later. And so learning how to navigate that without guilt or shame is a really important way that we can foster those relationships and then, you know, have them, uh, you know, grow into healthy adults later on in life. I love that. And this just opened up one last question actually is so my daughter often and kids often will try and delay bedtime. And I don't know whether it's a delay in bedtime. She says she's hungry or that she's actually hungry. So what do you recommend in those situations? So number one is remembering that hunger is not an emergency, right? So sometimes as parents, again, especially as moms, I sometimes say like, if if your kid is, says that they're hungry, you may as well take a red Sharpie and write the letter F on a mom's forehead. Like, how dare you let your child get hungry? What kind of a mother lets your child get hungry? But we're realizing that really getting again, curious about what happened, right? So if day after day, your child is saying, Hey, I'm hungry at this time. And let's say dinner is at five 30 or six o'clock and bedtime is at eight 30. That feels reasonable. Mm-hmm. right? It's been two and a half hours. And so maybe we can introduce a small bedtime snack before they're going to bed, right? If it's every single day. And then recognizing that once we've made those opportunities available, if she's chosen not to eat then, then we can remind her when the next time the food is going to be available is, and that might just be breakfast. Right. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's so true. All of this is such gold. Ah, everyone's going to want to know where they can like find you and learn about you and just like do your courses. Cause it's, it's funny. Like we, we, we were talking about doing this episode and I think at first you don't really, I don't know if this is an experience that you had too, Lexi, where you're like, you don't really think about it. You're just like, yeah, you just got to eat the rainbow. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you don't really think about the impact that, that, sort of lessons that you're teaching your kids about, you know, body autonomy and consent. Like you don't think about it from that longitude, you know, you're just more like, I just need to make sure you don't get scurvy. Like like (laughs) (laughs) food is like to nourish you and give you energy. And yeah, that's like what we try to communicate is like, we want, you know, you got energy and be able to play and all those things. But then you're realizing, oh, okay. So when Piper asks for dessert and she's had like one bite of dinner, I just give it to her and then hopefully she goes back to her dinner because often or you don't, if it's not a dessert night, right? It's not a dessert night. Right. But I think that it, it is, it's really important. Like what I want families to know more than anything is that dinner time or, or whenever it is, you can have a family meal. And even if that's not every day, that's okay. But it's our one time, right? Very often we're running. I mean, in this world, who knows what everybody's doing, but you know, very often with kids we're running back and forth, like extracurriculars and school and this and that and the other. And like dinner time is one of those times where again, we have that opportunity on a daily basis to be like, okay, what do I want to model today? How do I want to show up? How do I, what do I want to you know, be able to show my kids that, that I embody and what does an empowered person look like 
right? And how do I set them up for success? And it's actually one of the most powerful times that we have in our kids' day. And so we spend so much time, you know, really focusing on the ingredients of the meal, right? How do we build the meal? What do we look, what does that look like? And not the experience of the meal. How do I want my kids to feel? How do I want to show them? How do I want them to be in the world? And so, you know, really making that shift is a difficult one because again, as women, we are really socialized and conditioned to hyper-focus on the ingredients because that's sort of how we get our gold stars. And so undoing that is really, it is work. And, you know, that's, that's why I work with families. Yeah. You're making me feel so much better about serving pasta with butter. (laughs) It's the best. (laughs) My daughter would eat toast with butter every single day for every single meal. If you let her, she's like, this is God, like the greatest thing. Like this is God's gift to the world. It's just bread with butter. I love it. I mean, good taste. (laughs) Listen, she's not wrong. Exactly. Not at all. So this has been so amazing and eye-opening. I know all of our listeners will feel the same way. Um, so can you just uh, fill everyone in everywhere that they can find you? Because there's a lot here and we're going to, yeah. And your Instagram is amazing. <laughs> like I really enjoy going on and your reels and everything are very helpful in like bite size. So yeah. Thank you. Um, yes. Everyone can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Ahuva, A-H-U-V-A-R-D, which stands for registered dietitian. Um, and to work with me, I have a group coaching program called Table Matters, where we really focus on reclaiming our power so we can raise empowered children because the fact of the matter is that the table matters. Table matters. Nikki, any Love final it. words? Because you have a minute. Um, <laughs> um, well, Hendrick is eating pasta with pesto sauce right now, watching Coco Melon. So we probably could have gotten into the whole like, is it okay to watch TV when eating? And I'm going to say that she's going to say occasionally, like when you're trying to record a podcast in quarantine, it's allowed. You know what? It's funny because when we started even the original, you know, the original lockdown a couple of years ago, we were home. My kids were three and a half at the time. And I'd be sitting and be like, well, ideally we really shouldn't, you know, be eating in front of the TV, like talking to to clients. And I'd be like whipping snacks at them across the room while they were like naked on the couch eating Uh snacks. And I was like, it's really just ideal to focus on your food. So, so I'm going to say that like when you're, you know, trying to isolate with a a little human and you're also trying to record a podcast, that's totally fine. Okay. Well, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Love you and all that you're about and all that you teach. Thank you for, for being with us today. It's so helpful. I'm excited to listen to this again from beginning to end. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much. And, um, we'll talk soon. Oh, and bye Hendrick. Good boy. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.